Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are paranormal phenomena most common in geographic triangles? Why would such apparently unrelated occurrences as UFOs and Bigfoot be operating in such close proximity? Do people in these areas see more phenomena because the legends simply feed their imaginations? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 222nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben. You know, I'm Paul, and I'm afraid Ben is laid up today with a sinus infection, and so he didn't come in, and he's taking the night off, but he might call in later because he's very interested in the subject we'll be discussing tonight. Before we welcome our guest this evening, let's tackle our weekly paranormal contest. Last week's question was, what hotel in Alberta is considered one of Canada's most beautiful hotels, but also one of its most haunted? Linda Burroughs of Perth, Australia, got the answer. This uh, It's Banff Springs Hotel in Banff, Alberta. Congratulations, Linda. You win a copy of the best-selling Evidence of the Afterlife, co-authored by last week's guest, Jody Long. Of course, I always dread sending things to Australia. It'll take you years to get the book. Anyway, this week's question is, what famous ghost ship has been reported off the coast of South Africa? If you can handle that, call us locally at 401-766-1240-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. If nobody gets it before the end of the show, drop a line to ben at ben at behindtheparanormal.com. The winner will receive a copy of Ghosts of the Bridgewater Triangle by tonight's guest. Christopher Belzano has been investigating the paranormal for more than 10 years and has been writing about those experiences for the past five. He has been a contributor to author Jeff Belanger's Encyclopedia of Haunted Places and Weird Massachusetts, and he was one of the writers behind Weird Hauntings. His writing has been featured in The Haunted Times and Mystery Magazine, has been covered here in New England by the Boston Globe, the Boston Herald, the Standard Times, and Worcester Magazine. Christopher is the author of several books about regional hauntings, including Dark Woods, Cults, Crime, and the Paranormal in the Freetown State Forest, and Ghosts of the Bridgewater Triangle, as well as the collection of true ghost stories, Ghostly Adventures, and the new how-to paranormal, I should say, the new how-to paranormal book, Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting. Oh dear. He has appeared on radio stations in Massachusetts and now Rhode Island and throughout the Internet, as well as being called upon by television shows to comment on ghosts and urban legends. He now edits the paranormal news for ghostvillage.com, one of the oldest and largest websites dedicated to the paranormal. His own site, www.masscrossroads.com. If you'd like to talk with us or Christopher tonight, it's 401-766-1240 locally or 800-449-120 nationally. Email, I do not think we are monitoring tonight, so I wouldn't even give it to you. Chris Bazzano, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you very much for having me. I think I need to update my bio. I'm, uh, I'm going on almost 17 years now. It's making me feel actually kind of old, seeing that I started in oh. college. <laughs> well, somebody got this off the Internet. Um, you could adjust the audio on the computer. Okay, uh All right. Uh, so, sorry about that. Yeah, we... Um... Oh, no. <laughs> no problem. It's, it's more of a... It's more of a... Uh, you know, I have a, I have a habit of doing... Uh, so much work sometimes that I don't update my own stuff, but uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's been a wild ride for you know I like I, like I said I I've been doing this since my college years and I'm um, I'm getting up there now so yeah tell me about it okay 
Yeah, and for, uh, this is one of Ben's favorite subjects, and we, we've been over there ourselves. It's, it's not far from uh, where we live, maybe 25 miles or so uh, to the area. And um, so why don't you start us off tonight by telling us where is the Bridgewater Triangle? Well, it kind of depends on what, uh, by what definition you go. The, the Bridgewater Triangle was originally coined uh, in the late 70s by Lauren Coleman. Um, and his original uh, investigations were the three Bridgewaters, uh, East Bridgewater, West Bridgewater, and then Bridgewater proper, if you will. Um, and then as he started looking at cases, he expanded it um, to include Abington, to Rehoboth, Mass., to Freetown, Mass., and then back down to Abington. Um, and then he started just kind of speaking about it wildly, and for those people who are uh, older, they remember Evening Magazine was kind of one of the first uh, big newscasts to, to start talking about it. Um, but it, it would seem that the more I investigated it, the Bridgewater Triangle expanded. Huh. Um, because as Lauren Coleman was doing what he was doing, <clears throat> excuse me, he wasn't really focusing on uh, ghosts. Uh, or that kind of aspect of the paranormal or, or legends which might have kind of a ghostly or a, even a monsterly tinge to them. He was focused much more on cryptozoology, some UFO materials, some weird and unusual stories, which is how he included uh, Freetown. But then also, you know, it, it's how can you include Freetown without including, for example, Riverton, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Riverton, Rhode Island, uh, Fall River, places that used to be Freetown. Mm-hmm. And so as I started to investigate and kind of then threw uh, ghosts into the mix, I saw that it expanded much more. So, I mean, in addition to Coleman's original kind of map, um, it slowly crept down into Plymouth. Um, I think it, it might go, um, you know, as, as far into Rhode Island as, as Warwick. And I think that it, it really is one of those things where it, it's become, the more you look at it, it becomes much less of a triangle and more of kind of this, glob of things where on one side and in one town the paranormal activity might be considered quote-unquote normal, uh, and then on the other side of it it's much more towards the, uh, the Bridgewater Triangle classification. Okay. Now, uh, how many square miles is, you know, the, the Hockamock Swamp Management Area is, I believe, included in this, and that's, what, 225 mm-hmm. square miles, uh, if, I, if I'm right. Right. Okay. I believe and- Coleman's was originally somewhere around 500 square miles. Okay. Um, but mine's probably at least twice that. For anyone uh, who doesn't you know, include- okay, I'm sorry, I just wanted to explain who Lauren Coleman is for anybody who doesn't know. Uh, Lauren Coleman is a, a prolific author, and he's probably the, the most respected cryptozoologist in the country. Uh, we've tried for years to get him on the show, but just the, uh, the, the times we air just very happens to be in conflict with his schedule. So uh, right. we're still working on that, but that's who he is. I'm sorry, go ahead, Christopher. Oh, no problem. And, and, and actually, in talking with Lauren Coleman, because um, I've fostered a relationship with him for at least the past decade, you know, his, he kind of takes a nod to that work. He thinks that, you know, what he created was a template, and it was something that kind of fit in with his 14 exploration of things, but is by no means exhaustive. So, you know, it, it's not as if you were reinventing the wheel. We're kind of just looking at the wheel in a different angle. Okay. When did people start seeing weird things there? I understand it goes back before the European settlement. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're, I mean, really the, the kind of one of the, the things that I've become known for is kind of my exploration and my kind of, dis- not really discovery, but my chronicling of, of puck wedgies. Oh, yeah. I was um, going to ask you about that a little, little bit later on. Oh, we'll get to them if you like. Um, but, I mean, we're talking about no, if, that's, if that's the first thing, go ahead and talk about it. Well, I mean, you know, for, for people who don't know, uh, puck wedgies are the small... 
uh, troll-like creatures. They're about anywhere between two and three and a half feet tall. Um, and they've been seen by the Wampanoag uh, since long before, um, long before the settlers got here. You know, so we're, t- we're talking at least a thousand years people have been documenting odd things going on in the Bridgewater area, in the Bridgewater Triangle area. And uh, these Pukwudgies were, I mean, the closest thing we have to kind of touching upon everything from European ideas of uh, leprechauns to Australian, for your Australian listener out there, the odd spirits known down there. They're kind of this very common theme in folklore, in mythology, in paranormal studies, and New England has the Pukwudgies. That's what it's called. And I believe it is the same spirit that's a, or the same kind of creature that's being seen in these same areas. We just happen to call it, you know, by its Wampanoag name. I'm sorry, have you ever seen one? Um, I have not seen one. Um, what actually is that there's there's kind of like a, a, a Pukwudgie trilogy, if you will, or trinity, I should say. Um, and Pukwudgies kind of in and of themselves are, you know, they're in the borderline. Are they monsters? Are they elementals? Are they ghosts in and of themselves somehow? Do they fall into some uncharacterized thing? Um, but the other thing that accompanies the puck wedges, which I have seen, are what they call Tai Pai Wunkas. And these Tai Pai Wunkas are balls of light, which we would maybe today call orbs, but they're mm-hmm. the kind of visual ones, not the ones you get uh, when you take really bad ghost pictures. Um, these are visual ones that are the spirits of people, and it was traditionally Wampanoag people, who the Pukwudgies have taken their lives or at least somehow been able to harness them. Um, so there's these little balls of light that travel that I have seen quite often in, in high kind of Pukwudgie territory. And then the third thing, which kind of pops itself up as as the translations of the Wampanoag goes from kind of direct translation of oral folklore to being written down by the people who are converting the Wampanoag uh, into praying Indians, as they call them, yes. right before the uh, King Philip's War, we start to see the appearance of the devil with a capital D. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And in everything that I've seen, these uh, spirits that they refer to as the devil re- kind of act and interact with people and with the paranormal much more like a shadow person. Um, and so you kind of have this, where you see a Pukwudgie, you see a Tai Pai Wonka, and you, chances are you're going to see a shadow person. And those shadow people and the Tai Pai Wonkas I've seen in the same place. All right, now not to get sidetracked here, but what's your definition of a shadow person? In the well, I guess shadow person is is a really um, and, and there should be a separation between what might be known in the paranormal world as shadow person and what might be known in kind of puckwudgy talk as a shadow person. Nice. Uh, in in puckwudgy talk, a or land, I should say, uh, a, t- a shadow person is much more of kind of more of a solid fog. Um that at times can take what looks like human form, um, always solid, always kind of uh, watching what's going on, never interacting, but always observing. Um, and so it differs a little bit from other kind of paranormal definitions of the, of the shadow people in terms of you don't see them kind of darting out of the corner of your eye the way you would maybe in, 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 a, in a normal haunting or in a, a situation where people have spotted... Um, Shadow people, these are ones that hover, that you clearly see for an extended period of time. All right, so, so this features into the occurrences at the Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah, I mean... In the I, Pukwudgie sense, have, as you said, yeah. 
Right. I mean, I've gotten, you know, I mean, probably now, especially since I've come out with it um, and been able to publish it, it's kind of skyrocketed. I remember when I was first doing research after I uh, had read about it in Joe, one of Joe Citro's books. Oh, um, And Joe's kind of started talking about... Excellent. Um, you know, I, I, he had mentioned it in Passing Strange. Yeah. Very briefly, and so I did a little more research. And back when I was first starting this, kind of exploration of Puck Wudgie, there was nothing on the internet. The only reference to a puck wedgie was the um, was the, the book "The Good Giant and the Bad Puck Wedgie," which is actually a foundation for a lot of the of the research that I've done. That and it's kind of source material, the Narrow Land. Um, and then as I started to publish more stuff on it, people have come to me, and so people have. I mean, I'm probably up to maybe two through almost three dozen incidents just within the Bridgewater Triangle area of puck wedgies, um, including a lot of people who. Had other paranormal experiences who now kind of are looking through it saying, through a different lens saying, maybe this was a puck wedgie. I've had several people who've had abductions, for example, who always thought that what they had experienced was an alien trying to take them away. Mm-hmm. And then when I kind of speak on the puck wedgies and they, they, they even see some of the pictures that some of the people have drawn that I've talked to, they say, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily answer their questions. What it actually does is offer more questions to me. It, you know, are these puckwudgies something more extraterrestrial than than uh, kind of bound to this world and, and kind of just a thing of, 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 you know, modern American or even world haunting? Yeah, well, this is one of the things I wanted to get into. Because as, as you know, as an investigator, people sometimes will, <clears throat> the idea will sometimes grow in people's minds and that the, they'll match things up with other things and maybe confabulate a little and... Um, and on the other hand, I find uh, eyewitnesses to be quite accurate, usually, if they're clear-thinking people. But uh, l- before we move on to other things that go on in this triangle, what, as you know, all legends, pretty much, and, and everything in folklore has some basis and some grain of truth somewhere. And mm-hmm. that's what we try to look at on this show. What, in your opinion, is, in reality such as, you know, whatever reality may be, is a right. puckwudgie. I mean, what, what exactly are people... So you mentioned small creatures I've seen around the world. What's going on here? What, in your opinion, is really happening? I, I, think, it, I think it's something more along the lines of an elemental. Um, I think it's something that, when it chooses to, uh, takes the closest thing it has to a, a human form. Um, and I think that that's its preferred form. But it, it's known to change into everything from insects to, uh, to smaller animals, and so I really think it kind of falls much more into the realm of like an elemental, almost like part fairy, part something darker, uh, not that fairies aren't dark in their own right, and so I, I really, and, and to read the, the literature, you would say, this is, and as my, I'm an English teacher, I've used them to, to talk about things like allegory and symbolism, because I think that at some point, everything that happened negatively to the, to the Wampanoag they blamed on the Pukwudgies, and I've actually tracked some of their history and lined it up to different traumatic events, these kind of uh, clusters of Pukwudgies that are then in their literature. And yet, I would think that if I hadn't talked to people who then were experiencing things. Yeah. And so it has to be more than just a symbol. It has to be more than just an allegory. It has to be something real and tangible, because people who had no idea what this was are coming to me giving me the same story. Well, and I- so you know, it's funny you should say that, you know, and I always myself a folklorist first, mm-hmm. um, and then everything kind of spawned from that. So it's interesting for me now to see where other people are taking the puck wedgie, because now it's exploded, and, you know, people are taking, 
a line here or a line there from my literature and mixing it with someone else's interpretation. So now it, it's become this odd thing that you're supposed to do. And, and this was, you know, one of the TV shows, Paranormal State, asked me to consult on a case that they thought involved Tuckwedgies. And all of a sudden it became you're supposed to plant strawberries to get rid of them, and they like the smell of this and the smell. And I'm like, wow, wow this is a, like before my eyes, I'm seeing the Tuckwedgie become something that until now it hasn't been. Yeah, and as true. an investigator, an investigator that grates me. Like I don't, I don't like that. I'm like, wait a minute, you're not going to the truth. But as a folklorist, I kind of enjoy sitting back, saying, "Wow, this is." I'm watching kind of like the birth or the rebirth of, of a legend, like yeah. in the making. Very interesting. Uh, let me ask you this: uh, You mentioned the word elemental. I, I, I'm always careful to define things in case people who are listening don't know what that might be, because you know people people tend to you know we we tend to throw terms around sometimes. Uh, <clears throat> all right, elemental. What's your definition? I would say an elemental is something that is neither human, um, so it's, it's not human, has never been human. Um, it has no necessary, like, if you want to throw, um, throw like, what might be, for example, a demon around, which may or may not have some kind of hierarchy to it, or some kind of origin that things are then kind of out from it. It seems to fall somewhere in between there. Um, it's not human. It's not... Um, it's, but, and yet it's something tangible, it's not animal, it's nothing that we can define and we can kind of characterize, Even doesn't even fall into the cryptological aspect, and yet it's somehow spiritual as well. It's somehow it's not fully tangible and yet at times can be touched and can be Yeah, well, in folklore it's generally associated, it's considered a spirit associated with one of the four ancient elements of the uh, you know earth, air, fire, and water, and, and j- that right. hence the name elemental. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> but that's what that is. Okay, well, let, let's get back to some of the uh, the other incidents that have occurred within the triangle that people have reported over the years. Can you just uh, kind of run down a list of um, weird things that have happened there? Oh, sure. I mean, the the Bridgewater Triangle is really um, uh, the pool of everything paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been everything there from basically on the outer edges of what might be considered the Bridgewater Triangle, the first UFO sighting in America. Really? Um, okay. To modern-day uh, zombie sightings in places like the Freetown State Forest. Zombie sightings? Um, okay. Bridgewater, um, to these Tukwudgies, to paranormal occurrences that aren't, I like to call them prepackaged, uh, although the Bridgewater Triangle does have that. You know, a lot of what happens in the, in the, in the paranormal is Explainable in terms of it has a backstory. Uh, these two people got into a fight. One killed the other one. The spirit somehow remains and is, is still roaming the place. And, and, and I always like to say, well, sit, down and have, sit down and have a yeah. beer and we'll tell you all about it and make sure you get our nachos too. You know, yeah, it, right. <laughs> and, and that's perfectly fine. Um, and yet so many things within the Bridgewater Triangle, which makes their ghost stories uh, a little bit more hard to, to, to hold on to, is they are either... Ghosts that have no backstory, like people are experiencing things and we can't track down exactly what it might be, or the paranormal experiences fall into a realm of, 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 of not something physical is not necessarily the way to put it. In other words, it's, for example, I, I documented this couple who absolutely would said they were best friends, they did everything together, they went on vacations together, they moved uh, from outside the Bridgewater Triangle into the Bridgewater Triangle, and within six months, the two couples were divorced. They absolutely hated each other, and there was no reason for it. It just seemed to be this heavy, heavy negativity when they moved into this new place 
um, that that kind of drove them apart, and they, yeah. them, and, and along with the paranormal experiences they were having, and so it's that kind of thing that you can't touch. It's like trying to grab smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's unexplained, and it's just outside of our realm of being able to investigate and especially to understand. Um, but it lays this kind of foundation for this negativity, which seems to find itself there, right. and, and that's been reinforced by things such as. You know, uh, for a while, Bridgewater Triangle area had the highest rate of teen suicide in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, in the country, there, there are more in the country. Yes, wow. Uh, by far, by by like a, by leaps and bounds, Bridgewater State Hospital has the most suicide uh, of any mental health facility in the country. Is that still um, open? Oh yes, oh yes. Really? Oh lord! Unlike those... Foxborough and 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 Taunton, which has closed to some degree, and, and Foxborough, of course, is closed. Um, those, that, that hospital is still open, and, and, you know, that's the kind of odd thing that happened. My, my first book, uh, Dark Woods, was all about Freetown, um, and it began well, I'm going to tell you some stories because, later, but things from, from oh, that in my experience. But, yeah. Um, and it began with a question of, you know, these, these, this insane amount of paranormal activity that's seen there, and these paranormal things that are seen there, and then in the same town, which should be, for, for anyone who's not from the area, should, no one even should, it shouldn't be in anyone's consciousness. It's, it's, it's a town that should be completely forgotten. It, there's nothing about it that should be spectacular. And yet, it has been the scene of some of the most horrific crimes in New England. Yeah. Um, including Lizzie Borden, if you extend that, if you, especially if you take into consideration yeah, down to Fall, Fall River yeah. used to be yeah. part of Freetown. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, um, there's... And so I started asking... <coughs> oh, I'm sorry, Paul. I, I started asking, can the same negative energy which might either draw in or manifest itself in paranormal activity, also cause these crimes and also cause these things like teen suicide. I'd give that a big and, yes. Uh, yeah. 100%. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of what, you know, I, I, I like to call Darkwoods the little, little book that could because, you know, it's about one town in one random area that happens to be part of the Bridgewater Triangle, and yet it is a microcosm for this kind of exploration of, you know, is there more to the paranormal than just ghosts? Does it... Does it kind of touch deeper into something about it, something that touches on mental health and crime. Oh, yeah. Things we can't understand. It's the, universe, the paranormal is the background to everything in our experience. Uh, we're going to take a brief commercial break here, and I'm going to uh, come back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, minus the Ben tonight, with our guest Christopher Balzano. We'll continue our conversation about the mysterious Bridgewater Triangle. Stay with us. New River Press is proud to sponsor tonight's segment of Behind the Paranormal with Paul oh, yeah, no, and Benjamin no. New River Press offers the best in unusual New Age books. Stand by the side of tonight's host, Paul Nino, oh, no, as he battles poltergeists and helps suffering souls and families in the critically yeah, acclaimed books, Faces at the Window and Footsteps in the Attic. Plunge deeper into the paranormal with Paul and learn about his influence on human history, its action in our daily lives, and its ultimate well, meaning for us in the best-selling Turning Home, well, God, Ghosts, yeah, we and Human Destiny. Available now from New River Press, publishers of unusual books. Visit NewRiverPress.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore. And set for release late this year in one of the most unusual books on the subject ever written, Paul gives us Dancing Past the Graveyard, What Ghosts Have to Say About God. Okay, and we are back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, and our guest Chris Belzano tonight, author, folklorist, expert on the Bermuda, uh, Bermuda Triangle, the Bridgewater Triangle in, in nearby Massachusetts. And uh, Christopher, let's uh, talk about some of the other things that have occurred. Uh, let me tell you what I've heard. I've heard stories of Bigfoot 
turning up and lifting up the back of a police car. I've heard stories of giant snakes, giant birds, thunderbirds, if you will, uh, occurring since really the, the 1700s as reported by Europeans and as long before that, as you mentioned previously, by the natives. Uh, what, what, what cases like that have you uh, run into and investigated in that area? When I, when I first started, and really the Bridgewater Triangle pulled me in, I'm a Boston kid uh, originally, and so I wanted to investigate like all the little stories around Boston, and I didn't want to have to drive an hour and a half out to these towns that I never even heard of. Um, when I started doing that, an odd kind of uh, synchronicity, someone who I, I, I had worked with at my sister's sub shop uh, happened to be kind of an expert in the, in the Bridgewater Triangle, and that's Chris Pittman. Um, and so... Oftentimes, because cryptozoology is not my specialty, um, I pass a lot of those cases off to him or to other people in the area now, kind of that it's exploded and there's more people that I respect in that area. Um, so for the most part, a lot of the cryptozoological things, a lot of the UFO things, uh, I'm familiar with in terms of the background for the overall kind of picture of the triangle. Um, but there have been, I mean, numerous sightings of, of, you know, alligators that are huge that should have no reason to be there. Uh, Lauren Not Coleman's document, no. for example, Panthers, yeah. um, that shouldn't be there. Um, Bigfoot sightings galore, uh, especially in the in the uh, Bridgewater area. Um, the Hoppinock Swamp that you were talking about earlier has been known to, to have these gargantuan kind of, um, 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 you know, anaconda-like snakes. Um, and, and it makes sense because, you know, so much of that area, especially when you're talking about that swamp, has never been touched. You know, a lot of people think that um, that there was <laughs> the Freeman's Purchase that kind of gave a lot of the Bridgewater Triangle area to uh, to the settlers was, you know, oh, we really ripped them off. It's, you know, kind of like Manhattan for $24. But <laughs> in actuality, they didn't like that area. They don't like the Bridgewater Triangle. They, they didn't want to be us. there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and, and, and Hoppinock has actually been translated to a uh, place where darkness live, or a place where spirits live, depending on... Kind yeah, of well, or devils, depending on how you translate the Algonquin. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And so it's not like it was a, you know, we really ripped them off. It was a bargain, because they didn't like it. And so these kind of mysterious creatures have been seen or a part of their folklore, and then kind of moving forward, you have all these unsettled places. Um, you have these places that haven't been touched or looked at. And, and if anyone has ever investigated uh, the swamp, for example... You know, once you're 10 feet <laughs> off that path, uh, once you can't see that path anymore, you're really in, you know, kind of primordial land. I mean, you feel yeah, it, like yeah. the, uh, the, the thickness of the brush and the, and the, the kind of, like, smells that you're smelling that humans shouldn't smell. <laughs> yeah. um, and it really makes it so that, you know, anything that could possibly exist that is not, that is, you know, transported here from another planet, you know, Something that naturally exists, like a, like a Bigfoot or these gargantuan snakes or uh, the re- multiple reports of, of uh, Thunderbird-type creatures, of these you know, pterodactyl things that would hover over the, uh, the racetrack that's right on the, on the edge of the, of the swamp. Yeah. These make sense. You know, they're paranormal things. We talk about them in a paranormal way. But if you've never been to a place, you've never seen something, it makes sense that it would seem supernatural to you. All right. Let me give you a scenario based on how Ben and I work, and I'll tell you what happened to us there, and get, get your get your uh, opinions on that. All right, now I don't know if you know anything about our work, but uh, we base we're a little different. Uh, I've been doing I, this for, I, and I dig that, Paul. Yeah, okay. Uh, I've been working on the paranormal. For, I'm sorry. 
you're someone that I definitely look up to, especially when I was starting. There weren't a lot of people doing this. Oh, thank you. Uh, that was yeah, 41 years ago. I was <laughs> long time. Anyway, uh, Ben now uh, has come in with me, as you know, and our general interpretation of this, right or wrong, is that this is a thin place, as the natives would would say, a place where the boundaries of different worlds are very thin, as it were, because of the what whatever the electromagnetics of the area, whatever science or pseudoscience you want to pin on it. But this apparently is what's going on. You have a number of uh, bubble-like worlds, if you will, impinging upon one another, intersecting, or whatever, uh, however you want to define it in the, uh, the inadequate language of our species. And this is essentially what's happening. So you may see Bigfoot one minute, UFOs the next, and uh, that's why things are happening in such close proximity. That's an oversimplification, but essentially that's how we looked at it. So we went in there, and I, I was in there with my oldest son who uh, does not really get involved with us. He follows what we do, and he's our support staff at home when, when Ben and I are off on our adventures. But he, he and I went in, and we were particularly looking for... Uh, so, well, uh, let me give you some background. In the late 80s, I went to England for a magazine and was investigating the so-called Beast of Exmoor, which is essentially a giant cougar-like creature or, or, or a number of creatures that, that was devastating the sheep population in certain areas of that part of southwestern England. And it, when I got back here, I wrote a little bit about it, and somebody from the Massachusetts Environmental Police was reporting that they had seen, that ha there had been seen in the Mansfield area, the so-called Mansfield Mystery Cat. Remember that? Uh, a little bit before my time. I am only oh, okay. 36. Okay. Yeah, well, you're younger than me. But that was... This was something that uh, had been seen by a number of people, and Chief uh, Sliney, who was the, the fire chief in, in Mansfield, was laughing at about it until he saw it right across the street from his own home. And I spoke with him, and what they were, were wondering is if I could come over and give him a hand with some kind of investigation because of my experience with the one in England. And I said, well, you know, I, I have, uh, I think my son was nine years old at the time, and, and I said, I'm not going to go hanging around waiting for a cougar to pounce on me with my nine-year-old son. So in any case, that, that was our first experience with that, that area. We did go over a year or two later and find uh, a number of interesting tracks uh, from uh, that area. There was a, uh, an abandoned railroad bed going out into the Hockamock Swamp. It was the winter, era, winter time. And we did find some very interesting tracks. But, of course, the thing with tracks is that as, as snow melts or as mud will uh, liquefy more, the tracks will get bigger. So that's something you have to watch out for. So I don't know how you approach this, Chris, but one, per, one group of people I always talk to when this sort of thing are hunters. Hunters see everything. And they get into right. areas that a lot of people don't. And they were saying that the area was full of, uh, how do they call them, koi dogs, cross cross breeding between dogs and coyotes. I said that this was one possible explanation for this or that and the other thing. So that was that. And then mo much more recently, this is last summer, Ben and I went out there. Ben is highly sensitive to a number of different stimuli. And what we thought was going on was that, um, well, first of all, we got some interesting photographs of, I don't know if you'd call them puckwudgies, but they are on the Talking Points page of our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, under another show, and I will see that they are moved up to the top for this show. And they were, for all the world, like small people, flesh tones. And because you know, I have some training as a photographer in the military and everything else that's, you know, they sort of give me a nodding acquaintance with what can, can go wrong photography-wise. And to get flesh tones other than mushrooms in a wooded area 
is kind of unusual. And to to claim paranormal photography in a wooded area is very tricky because of the the play of light on leaves. I mean, you know, you know all this. And so, but nevertheless, these particular images were very, very striking, and we felt very strongly as if we're being watched. It was right in an area at the top of the lake. I forget what the lake is that runs from almost the Fall River area up through into the Freetown State Forest. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember the name of the lake. It might be the Taunton River. Is that what you're thinking of? Or uh, It wasn't the Taunton River. It was uh, or the reservoir, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, the reservoir in Fall River? Yes. Okay, I'm with All you. All right. Okay, so we were up. Uh, that's where this occurred. And the photographs are interesting. I invite you to take a look at them. Maybe I'll send them to you. I should have done so before the show. So in any case, uh, we uh, had a number of um, uh, interesting experiences there. The impression Ben got, and as a matter of fact, he's actually he's on the line now. He's calling in, so I'm going to let bring him in on the conversation. Uh, ben, are you with us? Yep, I'm here. Oh, that's, well, it's uh, talking to you. Usually you're next to me, but here you are, the wonders of technology. We have Chris Balzano uh, on the line here, and uh, I was just telling him about, about to tell him about our experiences at the Freetown State Forest. Uh, do you want to... Uh, Carry on that tale. I told them about the photos we got at the top of the lake there when we kind of felt watched. And did you want to, I don't know how deeply you want to go into it. Well, not really, mostly because I have a really bad sore throat, so I can barely talk as it is. Okay, well, sorry to make you talk, but anyway, did you have any particular questions for Chris before we continue that narrative? Okay, um, I don't know if you guys already touched upon this, but there was some, someone came up with this theory like years ago, and said that there was a UFO crash in the middle of Freetown State Forest. It's yeah, that, that might be responsible for all the trouble. Supposedly. Oh, yeah. Did, so you guys didn't go into that? No, actually, I was about to. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I already asked the question. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, you're a great co host. So, Chris, have you ever heard of that? Uh, I mean, again, it, it's, it's, it seems like it might be reaching. It seems, you know, kind of on the fringe here. But uh, that that was a. Something we, we'd heard as a possibility for the whole area being, how would you say it, Ben? The whole area kind of being sick? Yeah, well, it, well, it's weird. Different parts of the forest are twisted and gnarled, and other parts are really nice and beautiful. Right. It's like, it's like almost, almost as if like something like tainted it, like some sort of like radiation. Well, radiation's not a good word. I don't know what, what. Well, one never knows. I, mean, I, 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 yeah. I think it's, I think it's accurate to say that it's, uh, I'll, how about I'll throw out this word, skewed somehow or tainted somehow. I mean, I think that there are, everything that you're telling me is, is are, are things that I've, I've heard or experienced about, especially the Freetown State Forest, which I consider at least the emotional uh, center of the Bridgewater Triangle, if not the physical center. Hmm. Um, and that's that, you know, first of all, everywhere throughout the Bridgewater Triangle, but uh, especially the Freetown State Forest, you have, you were talking about, um, you know, the bubbles earlier, and, and this kind of thin layer uh, between these, you know, potentially whether they're different dimensions or just different worlds, you have, you know, probably an overabundance um, of time slips, which would be a great example of that catching a glimpse of something that you're not supposed to catch a glimpse of, which mm. the Pukwudgies might fall into that. But definitely other paranormal things uh, in there do. And, and, and especially at the, uh, at the um, uh, you know, at the, the reservation uh the house that used to be there, the rec center that used to be there, the greeting, the welcome center, I should say, which is now burnt down. Someone burnt it down uh, about two or three years ago. Yeah, we went by and that the, that area. Yeah, and and the the kind of ceremonial area that was right next to that. A lot of time slips. People experiencing things like uh, heavy drums, 
uh, columns of light, uh, hunters, uh, seeing Wampanoag hunters in that area. And so it, it, there is this kind of like you're glimpsing something otherworldly, not, you know, which if we can define, you know, separate between paranormal, which you're kind of involved in almost, and this otherworldly thing that you're glimpsing something that would have happened if you were there or not, uh, which kind of touches upon that. As far as the UFO, it would not surprise me if that story was out there. I have never heard anything about a UFO crashing there. But I would say that if that did happen, I don't think the UFO would be the cause of this, because this, unless it, you know, it happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. That's what they said, actually. Yeah, they, they, that, that, that seems to be what we heard. Or, um, because, I mean, it, this, is, this is something that's been going on for a long time, so if the UFO crashed there, like I said, the Bridgewater Triangle is kind of, or, you know, my kind of redefinition of does include the first UFO sighting um, in this country. Um, but, you know, I, I'm completely open to that. And, and as a matter of fact, there are experiences people have had at the Asana Ledge that are very much UFO-like in terms of seeing these kind of large spheres, spheres that then kind of turn into light while at the ledge that then kind of zoom off quickly. Hmm. Um, so there's there's definitely been kind of, at least modern UFO sightings there as well. I mean, it, and, you know, there, and the, there really is no definitive reason why this stuff happens. A lot of people point, for example, King Philip's War as the spark of this. And yet these things happened before, um, before King Philip's War and before... Yeah, and, I, 16, and I often uh, say, 16, right, I, say I, I think some of the brutality of that war is actually a symptom of the Bridgewater Triangle kind of curse, this kind of tainted, skewed... Um, um, energy that's there um, because I mean even if you take before the settlers got here when disease kind of hit a lot of uh, the, the, the Native American tribes of that area the Wampanoag were basically untouched um, or I should say the exact opposite <laughs> they were touched and everyone else kind of survived it um, even though there was a lot of intermixing between the tribes and so it does go back 500 years and so if it, if it was an ancient more more you know old the UFO kind of crash. I've never heard or seen in talking with rangers and talking with police authorities anything having to do with material recovered from the area or anything like that. Well that uh, would back that up. The uh, well first of all the, the yeah this this explain King Philip's war was was in the late sixteen hundreds and it was the, the final attempt by the New England natives to throw the Europeans the heck out. And obviously it didn't work. So but it was a very brutal war. Uh, the the UFO crash, as we understand it, you know, if such a thing occurred, would have been very, very far back, probably okay. in, in the remote past. So, uh, Ben, uh, what else you got? Um, let me think. I had something else. I could. I can't remember what what it is. Okay, well, just chime in because uh, we, we have another caller. Uh, can we take another caller at the same time? No, oh, okay, we're, we're short. Oh uh, well, well, I'm going to get going anyway. Okay, well, well, feel better. I'll see you when I get home. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Okay. okay bye. All right. Nice talking to you, Ben. Okay, and uh, we have uh, uh, the great Dave Balfour, our good friend and um, the host of um, Do You Remember, the one of the most popular shows on the station here, certainly. Dave, what do you got for us tonight? Oh, well, a number of years ago, I was. Uh, paid by the Fall River Chamber of Commerce to write a bus tour, if you will, a motor coach tour of the greater Fall River area. You're talking about Watapa Reservoir. Oh, Watapa Reservoir, that's it. Which is the place that you were trying to trying to locate. And on the far back side of Watapa Reservoir, that is beyond Fall River, <clears throat> if, you, if you were to make a left turn and go back on the other side of the highway, 
there's a Native American burial ground. And that Native American burial ground, why I don't know anything about uh, uh, UFOs, is could be what, uh, what what you're thinking about as far as unusual activities happening there. This is a marked, well-known, and well-identified Native American burial ground on the shores of Watapa Reservoir. And I'll just bet <clears throat> that if there's anything paranormal happening in that area, that's got something to do with it. You know, it's funny. Ben and I are of Wampanoag descent from to some degree, a couple of ancestors. It goes their way back. But, you know, we didn't feel threatened. We didn't feel – we just felt weird. I don't know about you, Christopher, when you go there. I mean, we, we just, we felt, um, not really at home, but we, we didn't feel unwelcome. But, but it just felt strange. It felt that there were a lot of presences around us, like we were being watched, and then, of course, those photographs. Have either one of you read, Nath- read Nathaniel Philbrick's book, Mayflower? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in the middle of it. Okay, because the book is not particularly about the Mayflower, but it's about a lot of things that happened in that area. It's great. And it is an outstanding book and if you're looking to try to find some information and to piece a few things to it that book will do it yeah well it's, it's of course the story of the at least as far as i've gotten the story of the arrival of, of the the pilgrims or or because they didn't call themselves that they called themselves the saints because of their religious beliefs and their arrival on the cape cod and then plymouth and it, it, that whole area because uh, this bridgewater triangle area is not uh, too far from the history the historical uh, areas of, of eastern Massachusetts that uh, any American would would be uh, hopefully honored to visit as, as historical sites. So, uh, okay, uh, what so what else? Um, do, you, do you have a question for uh, for Chris? Oh, I just wanted to point out the fact, first of all, you were looking for the name of the reservoir. And oh, I appreciate that. Reservoir. And secondly, that Native American burial ground is marked. <clears throat> As you drive down a, a very lonely road on the backside of the reservoir, you'll see a sign there that, points out that it is a Native American burial ground, and it, it's something that you perhaps would be very interested in. And tomorrow morning on Coffee and our, our Tuesday morning guest who is moving over from Thursday, uh, financial advisor Ed Carew, lives in a very historic house in Middleborough. So you, someday oh. when you get a chance, you might want to talk to him. Yeah, that's um, that's 8 o'clock in the morning here on ON 1240 AM and com. That's uh, probably the the uh, flagship show of the station, Coffee Ann. It's the oldest uh Correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, the oldest continuously operating talk show on the radio in America? You got it. Yeah. Started okay. in 1946. So no, well, there you go. 1946. Well, there you go. Okay. That's all I had to say. I just wanted to remind you that it was at uh, Watapa Reservoir, and that the Native, there is a Native American burial ground on the shores of the reservoir, Paul, and probably might have something to do with the uh, your, your callers, uh, your guests, uh, uh, to talk about tonight. There you go. He's doing, a, he's doing a very good job, and there are people with the same name as he uh, in Bristol, Rhode Island, and he is perhaps uh, related to some of those people who've been around Bristol for a long time. Oh, could be. Well, I guess uh, you, you go back farther than you think there, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, and actually, it's, it's, Balzano is such a, uh, growing up um, in both kind of Metro Boston and in, the, um, and in, in New Hampshire for a while, it was a really rare name. Luis um, Bolzano ran one of the best Italian restaurants anywhere. He's, I guess, is passed on to his reward, but the restaurant is still there. But, <laughs> but right, and, and it's, and it's funny because as I grew older and I started to kind of realize, it's like, oh wow, you know, there are there are whole families of, of Balzanos and of course Tweety Balzano and, and that whole situation in Rhode Island. They're yeah. so close, and uh, <laughs> I think part of it might be due to the fact that there is a Balzano Italy. Could be. Uh, I knew Tweet Goldano uh, years ago. I don't know any of the family. All right, well, uh, fellas, maybe we, ought to, maybe we ought to get back to the paranormal. All right, Paul, I'm <laughs> going to go because I've got other places, there's other things to do this evening, but I wanted to fill you in on the fact that the, the reservoir is right there on the banks of that uh, 
the Union burial ground is right on the banks of that reservoir, and I thought you might be interested in knowing that. That's the place. Thanks a lot, Dave. Have a good one. Okay, good. All right. And just to, uh, just to follow up on that really quickly, like I said, not being from that area when I started this research, uh, I just started collecting stories. And a lot of these stories were secondhand or thirdhand where they had heard something. And so a lot of people were uh, relating to the experiences that had happened around the reservoir and Fall River and the Freetown State Forest as if they were one of the same. And a great example of that is there's some kind of shack, and I believe it was an old ice shack, which is off of that, reserv- uh, off of that, that reservoir, um, which people refer to as the res, which is different than the, the reservoir, which is part of the quarry, which is part of the state forest. Um, and people were experiencing paranormal things there, and they were getting it kind of mixed and jumbled with uh, the Carl Drew Shack, um, which is in the Freetown State Forest, which is the, you know, the site of at least some of the meetings of one of the satanic cults that were active in the forest. Um, and so, it, it's once again the the researcher in me gets aggravated by that. The folklorist in me says, "Wow, you know, this kind of stuff is so frequent and such a part of the background and the history and the culture of the area that they get mixed." And for people that are in that area, it's all one and the same. And that's that's kind of like I said, the folklorist in me finds that really interesting, but the researcher pulls my hair out. Yeah, well, no, that brings us right back to our original topic, and that's how does all this affect the people who just are trying to mind their own business and live their daily lives in this area, some of whom have been in the area for generations, their families. And, of course, as you, as you know and as I know, the, this, the paranormal is the background, so to speak, to these things. And, when people can, and the paranormal can be very positive in our experience. It, it, can, it can revive and, and, and revolutionize your spirituality, your whole vision of your relation with yourself and uh, your relations with other people, et cetera, et cetera. But also negative things can happen, and when you mention satanic groups going in there, poisoning the atmosphere, as it were, uh, that, that's a matter for concern for everyone in the area, because the, the, this stuff sort of emanates out like ripples in a pond and affects everyone who's affected by the energy, and that can be a problem. Now, people have asked us why we haven't had Satanists on the show. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't think they have anything positive to say. They seem to have access to grind. It's it's really negative, and I don't like it. So, uh, I mean, what say you? Uh, I say that the the topic of satanic groups and the satanic history of the Freetown State Forest is probably not something we have enough time to get into. You should you can bring me in for a whole different show just on the crime that's there. But what I yeah. what I will say is this: on both the positive and negative side of that coin, be it groups that practice some form of negative occultism uh, to people who practice very positive forms of Wicca um, and, 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 and Santeria, for example, the positive side of that. The, the Freetown State Forest, the, the, all of the Bridgewater Triangle, but the Freetown State Forest in particular, draws them in. You know, that's been um, the case throughout human then, history in, in areas all over the world, too, so it's not right. unusual. And, and when you have people who are drawn inexplicably to a place, you have to start... Really looking at like is there is there a such thing as then negative and positive energy? Is there are these 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 pulses of energy that people can then take and and and, and use and be able to benefit from, or do absolutely horrible things with? And oftentimes in the Freetown State Forest and then kind of in the Bridgewater Triangle, um, these are experiences where people who people come from outside of the triangle and are somehow drawn. Um, when I was originally starting and I was working with 
a police detective who worked a lot on the occult crimes in that area, Alan Al. And he made a very, you know, very cop-like uh, explanation of Freetown being so close to Providence, so close to Boston, so close to to um, to Taunton and to um, and to Brockton that you can commit a crime in some place urban and get rid of the evidence in some place ultra rural very quickly. Um, and yet, in the same way, there are other places people could have gone. One of the people I talk about is James Cater, who committed his crime in Brockton, which I kind of think of as a as the uh, uh, a brother of the. Bridgewater Triangle is not part of it. He commits his crime in a different city uh, and then has plenty of chances to, to get rid of the evidence and to kind of do what he needs to do on, on the negative side, and yet doesn't. Makes his way all the way to the Freetown State Forest to to dispose of the body or, or depending on whose opinion or whose version of the story you hear, to actually commit the murder in the forest itself. Yeah. And so it does seem to draw in negativity and then kind of cycle it through and then kind of feed off that and then draw more things in. And yet positive people have found it as a source of inspiration as well. Yeah. Well, that seems to be how it works around the world in places like that, but it's just intriguing because it's it's so uh, it's it's in our listening area. So I did want to ask you, we're running out of time here, but I want to ask you quickly about Bird Hill. And uh, okay. is that possibly named for Thunderbird sightings? That That's one of the stories we heard. Yeah, and it's always it's always hard to tell. And once again, going back to Lauren Coleman, who, who talks so much about the naming of places and and where we get the names, and, and when we can't when we can't say, oh, that's because George Bird founded it. Sure, <laughs> we're left to wonder why certain places are called what they are. And that area has been known in at least semi recent history to be the sightings of these large, huge Thunderbird or pterodactyl type uh, creatures in, in that area. And it would seem kind of ironic that, you know, that they would be in some place that was actually called Bird Hill, and they would be these inexplicable birds. Yeah. Uh, so you have to look at, you know, were, were these appearances happening throughout history, and that's what it's actually named for. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, it's never been necessarily named and then renamed, and then renamed again so that, you know, it, to fit in with modern sighting. So it okay. seems as if that's something that's been happening for hundreds of years at least. Yeah. What, what are the most, can you give us an example of one or two of the most recent uh, paranormal experiences people have had there, cryptid, ghost, thunderbird, you know, whatever, Bigfoot, whatever whatever you can sure. think of. I, I mean, I, I have people who all the time, especially after having read uh, my my Dark Woods book and my and my The Bridgewater Triangle book, go into the Freetown State Forest, and, and, ha- and, and they, um, they experience a lot of what I've been talking about. Uh, I just had, maybe about three weeks ago, someone contact me with another zombie sighting in that area, um, yeah, tell you, zombies, uh, I, that's new to me. I hadn't heard there were, what do you mean by a zombie? I mean, I know what it is in folklore, but not to interrupt your narrative here, but but that's uh, pretty interesting. You want me to get into the zombies a little bit, or? Uh, yeah, I'd say we haven't got much time, but yeah, I'd like to, to get some explanation of that. I hadn't heard of any zombie sightings there. Sure. First of all, understand the context of the area. This is a, uh, this is a, for a time, was a huge depot of uh, dealers, uh, and of and of uh, you know people who are running drugs and people who are committing crimes kind of based on drugs and uh, you know the murders that have happened in that area have been linked to pornography rings and drug rings and things like that. So understand that when I say zombie, I'm not talking about uh, you know something from George Romero or something from you know The Walking Dead or, or Zombieland. I'm talking. Well, I've actually about researched that in Haiti, so that's why you know the, I got interested with right, the term. 
and you can draw that line from Haiti straight to Cape Verdean, uh, or Cape Verdean, I should say, and it's the same kind of um, underpinning of religion. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of, as a matter of fact, a lot of the, the a lot of Haitians have that same kind of background. Um, and it is a form of uh, uh, most likely chemical um, sedation, which when people rise, then rise, they believe that they are, because of their, their culture, because of their history, believe that their soul has been taken. That's what they told me in uh, Haiti, yeah. Right, and, and so whether people who are experiencing these very slow walking and yet fast moving, that's the best way I can describe it, slow walking but always seem to catch up with you, people who are uh, covered in dirt, who uh, are, 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 are limping, who have a, a glossed over look in their eyes, they might be dealing with someone who's been a victim of a crime and dumped, yeah. uh, or they might be dealing with, with you know, some, some of the uh, Santorin or, or Palo Alto subculture that exists in that area. But a lot of people, and I, when I say a lot of people, I'm talking, you know, dozens, not, not hundreds of thousands, people have sighted or been attacked by things in the, in the forest and in the, in the state forest, uh, in the woods and some of the surrounding areas by these kind of zombie-like people who act very much like they're in a trance, who seem to be covered in dirt like they've just dug themselves wow. out of a grave. Well, I'm, I'm uh, afraid and, we're going to have to end it there. We're out of time, but I did want... Uh, they will get a whole show on that, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your books, where people can get them, and uh, what's going on. Uh, sure, if, if you're, you know, your area, listening area, definitely falls into where you can get, you know, dark woods and go to the Bridgewater Triangle and local bookstores. Uh, you can also get them online, whether through my site or through uh, Amazon.com or another one. Uh, there's also Ghostly Adventures, which is on the shelves pretty much everywhere. Uh, picture yourself ghost hunting. And then kind of the, the follow-up to that, you were talking about photography before, there's actually, uh, I have a book called Picture Yourself Capturing Ghosts on Film. So you can get them pretty much anywhere, especially in your listening area. Cool. Christopher, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. We're definitely going to do this again. Thank you. It's actually been an honor for me to speak with you because I've admired you for so long. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Uh, I don't know if I deserve that, but I appreciate uh, you being <laughs> with us, and we'll be in touch uh, off the air. Excellent. Have a wonderful night. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Well, Bye-bye. Chris Belzano, folks, check out his books. Uh, many thanks to our producer, the lovely Denise Richards, and we'll see you next Monday, March 14th, at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on WON 1240 AM and com. Ben and I will welcome Tanya Durenberger, daughter of the famous Woody Durenberger, the primary witness to the Indrid Cold Alien Affair in the Ohio Valley of the USA in the mid-1960s. In the meantime, tune into our Sunday evening CBS radio edition in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, and online at www.newskyradio.com on March 13th. I will, uh, Ben and I will take the hour to do an Irish themed show centered around the Banshee. Don't miss that one. Remember, you can always get free podcasts of all the shows along with show schedules and guest information at behindtheparanormal.com. I'll leave you with a quote this evening from that old sweetheart, Albert Einstein. Learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. See you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.